Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Equity of up to £150 million. You're not here to find your head to win games. We want to try to reduce this gap. I think that uh, a good team has to be good uh, to recognize uh, different phases during the game. Welcome into the Tottenham Depot. I am your host, Andrew. It is episode 100. We have made it. And boy, do we have a lot to talk about. It is going to be quite the podcast where we break down a North London derby that uh, did not go Spurs way. We're also going to talk about the women's team losing another one that they probably shouldn't have uh, and whatever the hell else comes up, because I feel like this episode for episode 100, boy, it, we've got one for you. Scott is alongside. He is at DSM Spurs. Scotty, um, I don't know what else to say. Happy 100 to you, my friend. 100 episodes, 11 years. It's been a long con. I'm fuck Spurs. I'm not even a Spurs fan. <laughs> Taking applications. So, no, you're not. No, you're not. That's why I'm you're just here. Kidding. I'm totally joking, of course. But dude, fuck Spurs, man. They suck. Yeah, it was not. Uh, it was not a good day to watch Tottenham just get blasted. And we're gonna we're gonna dive into it. Uh, Caroline is also with us at CG Stefko. Kaz, I know you're battling through it, playing injured, unlike some others who are able to. Uh, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, I'm, I'm recovering from COVID, so that's not very fun. Um, and this weekend has not been fun to be a Spurs fan. So it, it has yeah, not. It is what it is. <laughs> it has not, and we're going to talk about it. Um, let's, let's dive right in, because the last time we spoke, Spurs were coming off the backs of a victory over Crystal Palace and a win over Portsmouth in the FA Cup, which was less convincing, but still was necessary. Um, Spurs went out today and the scoreline does not re- represent a two nil victory for Arsenal does not represent what this game really and truly was. Um, Cause it honestly could have been four or five uh, the way that it felt this felt weighty Scott, this felt heavy. Um, there were no answers from Tottenham really uh, a slow reaction, just a, a hard first half uh, poor performances. I think a poor setup, poor tactics, just Poor, poor, poor all the way around, right? Yeah, absolutely abysmal performance today from Tottenham. I think maybe 10 minutes into the match, I dropped in the group chat, you know, the comment that I couldn't tell if if we were looking to absorb pressure or we're just getting smoked and pinned back or maybe a combination of the two. And it was certainly a combination of the two, which I think we can we can pick that apart in two different ways, right? via management and then on-field play both, but I just didn't see anything worth the shit at all from, from the team today. No bite, um, no confidence, and that's probably the most concerning thing is talent 
isn't far off as far as the two clubs go, right? We might even be more talented than them. I've said that before, but they're playing with all the confidence in the world and we're playing with absolutely no confidence. And that's why we got smoked today. Ultimately that bleeds into the tactics and the on-field play, right? But that's why we got smoked today. And it's something that we're just, I say we got to get figured out, but probably doesn't matter anymore. We're eight points. Uh, they're eight points top of the table and we're 17 points behind Arsenal. So um, tells you how the season's gone. It, it's interesting that you bring up that you think we're about on level talent with them, because I think that's something that I will slightly push back on. And, and I think it's something that a lot of Spurs fans and even media don't really want to fully recognize the way that Arsenal have surpassed Spurs and, and have done it so quickly. It's been how many years since Spurs, uh, have finished below Arsenal uh, it, like six or seven now at this point I can't even remember um, but it's gonna happen this year now and it's honestly it's one of those things where I, I feel like the talent has slowly grown in a way that Spurs will always want to say they want to grow it almost like they used to to want to do under Pochettino and Spurs over the last handful of seasons have been caught in this middle ground and it's a middle ground that you and I spoke about Scotty a few weeks ago on the pod here. We, we talked about they, they can't decide whether they want to win now or continue to build for the future. And Spurs have been stuck in that limbo for a while now. And with the last few managers that Spurs have hired and, and some of the signings that they've made, they've wanted to be in a win now mode and it has bit them so harshly in the ass and today was a perfect example of that. And the last game against Arsenal was a perfect example of that. I mean, this is the first league double that Arsenal have no. done over Spurs in nine years. Uh, you know, I will agree with you in this one through 11. They have much more talent. I think we have a couple superstars that maybe sway opinion there or maybe give give a false impression. So, again, there are a few pieces that we have that I would expect more from, but that may be unfair. You know, I think that is the sports fan in me expecting too much from, from individuals but ultimately they're very talented and with the team selections today you know it's I think it's a fact that Arsenal have spent more over the last you know few years and I, I agree with Scott that we're not I think we do have the quality advantage overall but today and the actual reality of the teams that lined up to play you know Arsenal had basically their preferred 11 you can, you know, argue that with Gabriel Jesus being injured, I think Enketia has filled in pretty well for him. Um, whereas Spurs, you know, we look at this this starting eleven before the game, and you think that it's pretty close to ideal. Obviously, Bentoncourt missing, but you have to factor in this is Papsar's first Premier League start. He's being thrown into the fire of a London derby, the London derby. <laughs> And Decky, you know, coming off of an injury, he's obviously not going to be 100%. And uh, there's just some players that we expect to be world-class, like Sun and Romero, who just haven't been this season. So from the start, we were already at a disadvantage. But you need the team to make up for that with mentality, and we did not today. I want to dive in a little more with just with what you say about team selection, because that for me was a big issue in this match. And we will come on to talk about Hugo Lloris because there's a lot to say there, but you and I both pointed to the Ryan Sessegnon of it all at left wing back today and not thinking that that was a, a great um, selection. I would have rather seen Perisic there, 
Um, and I think I think it was kind of proven out. I don't think Sessignon had a very good game at all. I think the only player on the pitch that was worse than him, frankly, was Larice. Um, the midfield, though, it's interesting because yeah, you would think Pap Sar making his his Premier League debut would be an issue, but I thought he actually played pretty well. I feel like it was him and Kulisevsky that that almost showed the most, and I thought Kane had a decent game as well. Um, I thought he, Sar and Kulisevsky showed the most. And yet the bigger issue for me was if you're coming into a game like this with Arsenal who play a three-man midfield and are, and it's honestly a very damn good midfield. I think we need to recognize that and not just, not just continually, you know, brush it off as, Oh, it's just Arsenal. We need to put a little bit more respect on what we're facing here. I think that if we do that, the idea of going into this with Sar and Hoybier only to defend that, that midfield of Odegaard party and Jaka is not, good like that is not a good plan it's not a good idea i feel like the 352 would have this would have been the match for it and i know that we haven't played that formation in a few months um but it's it, they're they're capable of doing it is is basically my only problem and when you realize how little sun actually contributed in this match and how little he's really contributed at all this he's he's, he's struggled this was the game to to put sun on the bench bring in a third midfielder whether it be basuma or skip of the players who were available and play a three-man midfield and pack it in and try and hit him on the counter with Kane, Kulisewski, and the wingbacks. That would have been my strategy. I'm not saying I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not saying it's perfect, but my goodness, it, it would have looked a little bit better than that, I think. Definitely. And the other problem with having such a thin midfield compared to theirs is that it forced our forward players to have to overcompensate and they were all playing further back than they needed to be. And we know that especially with a player like Sun, that is not his strong suit. He's not being released to play his game. So you're right. Why was he on the pitch to begin with? You know, it, it, it's pretty baffling to me from Conte. And I think that's my biggest complaint about today, even more than like any of the individual performances. It's just that he didn't set the team up for success. He didn't react well when things were clearly going poorly from the start. And, you know, I think the substitutes in the second half had some impact, but they were, you know, too little too late. So, and we get this from him far too often from Conte that he's just stuck, you know, in his rigid idea of how he wants the team to play and not recognizing that if they aren't playing his system to his exact uh, expectations, something has to give, like something has to change. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, Carolyn. I think I look at, I look at the fact that for 18 months, we've continued to use a system that relies on such talented wingbacks that we maybe don't have outside of Perisic. Um, that system's going to put strain on the midfield. Then we deploy a two-man midfield consisting of a debutante at 20 years old who's never played with his partner. I have... I said it off the air earlier. I've never seen our midfield as just disjointed since last year when we lost at the Emirates under Nuno and our three-man midfield was fucking on ice skates the entire game. It was the same thing today. There was no cohesion from the two. One of them would be supporting the left back while the other was supporting the right wing. And the the sea the was parted for Arsenal to, to, to just progress the ball. And Odegaard's second goal, shame on Hugo to some degree, but... Odegaard had enough time I said in the chat to make a cup of tea sit down 
maybe grab a couple of biscuits, enjoy an afternoon and then get that shot off. Right. It was just ridiculous. Um, it's, it's the kind of, you know, there's losses where I can come away and say, shit, we lost that sports. But today was fucking abysmal from top to bottom, the tactics, the performance, the execution, the desire. Um, and unfortunately I have, when I look at all the things that factor in, I, the tactical setup is the most concerning to me. And I don't understand how our world-class manager continues to, to just use that same system over and over, especially considering when he won the title at Chelsea, it was a formation change and a system change halfway through the system that probably won him the title. Right. Um, I just don't understand. I don't understand the, 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 the persistent, just inefficient approach from him. And I start to wonder Am I fucking tin foil hat type of person for thinking? Like, is he trying to prove a point to the board by just deploying a shit shit formation with shit talent over and over? I, I don't want that type of person in my club. I'll take somebody else who, who wants to come and fight for with what he has. Right? Dare I say a Pochettino? But I I don't know. I don't understand, and I'm I'm frankly getting kind of tired of Conte. So I. I think you do dare say because you say that all the time. You, you've wanted you've wanted Pochettino back for a while, and we, and we all know this, which is definitely a. Con- I, I think the conversation with Conte is getting it's it's getting louder because of the contract situation, and that's the part for me that I think is a really immediate thing that needs to be addressed. Like I, I'm fine with if Conte wants to stick around, but he's got to commit to this thing for, for more than six months at a time, more than a year at a time. It's got to be a longer term thing because it is a project. And I, I think no matter how much we say, Oh, Spurs have been in win, win now mode and have been making signings like they want to win something to an, to an extent, by the way, I'll, I'll, I'll just add as an aside, I can understand their approach for, for over the last handful of seasons when you've got generational players like Son and Kane aging to a point where you do want to win them something now. I get it. But overall, this is still a long-term project and a long-term rebuild. I mean, there are players in, in this squad and in this, in this starting 11 that have been here for a very long time that were here under Pochettino. And it's been a while. Like there is, there is not a lot that need, there's not a lot that, that you can just like tweak here and there. There still needs to be overhaul. And we've been talking about overhaul with this roster for how many goddamn years it's been way, 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 way too long. And this, this half and half thing that spurred this half and half approach that Spurs have, have tried is obviously not ideal and not working. And it's, they really need to it's a it's a shit or get off the pot type of situation like they need to go one direction or the other they need to either stop trying to be chelsea or fully be chelsea and just buy 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 and throw all the money at the problem and we know that that's not going to happen well maybe don't be just like chelsea cuz they they don't appear to have any plan behind their uh, yeah i the, the idea of chelsea not the not yeah the, the i think I, what i mean is the macro chelsea not the micro chelsea but yes that that's exactly you're exactly right about that i i do think we need to hammer in a little bit more on some of the individual performances because i think Scott, to your point about formation change, yeah, you have to take something away in order to add to that midfield. And I do think right now that player is Youngman Son. I think we've been saying it for months now that Son is having a really, really bad season. He scored last week uh, in the game against Crystal Palace, which was great. That was his like third different game that he scored a goal in all season, I think. 
it's it's it, it has not been good enough. And when when you put Sun in this formation in this front three with Kane and Kulusevski, and there's absolutely nothing else going forward from from the midfield or or enough from the wing backs because you don't even have center backs that can pass the ball properly. He becomes completely irrelevant out there. He becomes and and I I said earlier that I thought that Cessnyan and and, and Hugo, who we're going to come on to a little bit bit more in depth as well, I thought they were the two worst players. I, I kind of didn't even think about Sun in that fact. He, Sun was worse than any of them. I mean, Sun was bad today, and we've got to continue to say say that while we love him and we 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 love everything he's done, like Sun has had a shit season. And well, it's not it's not. I don't see it getting better. I guess is my point. No, you're you're right, and I just I think I'll point out like Cess and 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 obviously you guys understand this. I'm just talking out loud, but Hugo and Cess, their their terrible play was involved. Sun was just non-existent, and I almost think that's worse, right? Um, and, you know, you can always point to tactics, you can always point to how things are deployed, but a world-class player with confidence is involving themselves in the match, right? And Sun's just not doing that right now. So I think. Uh, yeah, you're spot on. I think that's that's the flex there because I'll take somebody who's who looks terrible because they're terrible through their involvement and somebody who's not not involved. Right. Yeah. No, I I agree with you. Um, part of the reason I think he's not as involved as we would want him to be is because he's not getting any support from the wing back on his side, Sessignon, and Sessignon. Sessignon was just bad today. Like he just was not good, and it's. The other one is Larice. I don't know what else we can say about Hugo Larice that hasn't either hasn't been said or hasn't been thought, but not said out loud at this point with Hugo Larice. Hugo Larice cannot be this team's starting goalkeeper at the start of next season, in my mind. No, because we can't keep having him have one good game and then like five to six games where he makes a mistake that costs us a goal. It seems like mm-hmm. every game it's happening. Um, I mean, I did see a stat that he literally leads the league in errors leading to a goal. Um, and, and for him to register an own goal in the North London Derby is just painful. Um, unfortunately, I'm in the same position with my other club right now, and I know how bad the goalkeeper market is. So I'm kind of struggling to see what the solution is uh, for the rest of this season. You know, I, I don't think we can continue starting him. But I'm not sure that Fraser Forster is necessarily, you know, the solution. And and our, our younger keeper, Brandon Austin, I mean, he's played in MLS, but that's not it's just not comparable. I, I, I'm almost to the point where I think that in the in the micro, Fraser Forster needs to get a few games. I, I'm I'm almost I'm almost there to that point. Um Well, it can't hurt to try. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's bad. It's bad, bad, bad right now. Even even in the first handful of moments of this match where there was the, you know, playing it out the back and the nervousness and the it it just all looks so dodgy. And then the own goal is honestly, I just don't even know how you're not punching that ball out of play. You're not catching that ball, which is what, you know, a goalkeeper would be really be expected to do. But instead, it just bounces off of you and into your own net. And it's just, I, no one really knew what had happened, how that ball had gone in. And when you saw the replay, it's like, oh, it was just Hugo Lloris. It was just the Hugo Lloris of it all. He just let the ball go in. And I was, 
I was baffled by it. And uh, whether it's system, whether it's individual errors, which I feel like is a phrase that should be banned from all Tottenham podcasts forever because individual errors is just an excuse that we've been using for years upon years. Um, but these mistakes, these individual lags in form, I'll call them, um, none of it, none of it was good. Um, Scott, where are you on, on Hugo right now? Because I, like, I, I, like I said, I, I think it's time to see Forster for, for a game or two and see how that goes. I mean, I, I don't think that can be any worse, I guess. It, it is my answer to that, right? And I, I hate it, man. Hugo's been our captain. He's he stayed at the club through some shit when he probably could have gotten a pretty cool move in his career. And, you know, there's all kinds of rumors that that was really down to him loving London, et cetera, which checks because it hasn't been pretty. But regardless, he's been at the club for a while. and um, But unfortunately, yeah, it's probably time to move on. Today was just an unacceptable performance in such a big match and we've we've seen a few of those you know over the last couple of years from him and as you both cited already the inconsistent form is just something that we can't have right now um it really it does tie into the macro right there's there's a lot that this club's up against and it can't have its goalkeeper costing costing it you know it points in the form of momentum and things like that so it's probably time to give Fraser Forster a go and we brought him in because we believe he was capable of, of backing up Hugo. And I don't think it's necessarily a backup situation as much as it was at the start of the season at this point. Is there any other, are there any other changes that you would make in this lineup right now? Because I feel like I, for me, again, the tactics were the biggest thing. If you're going up against a three man, very talented midfield, like Arsenal have, um, I don't want two men in my midfield in Hoybier, who granted has had a good season, especially with his offensive production. Um, and a 20 year old making his debut in the premier league. I don't want to go two against three in that situation. So aside from the tactics of it all, I mean, I, I don't hate what I've seen out of Matt Doherty at right back at right wing back. I, I, I recognize that the front three is the front three, although it's weird. This front three that we saw today of, Sun Kane and Kulisewski. It's the first time we'd seen that front three since late August. So it is kind of, there is this in the back of my mind, this thought of, well, they haven't had their full slate of players. Like we saw Richarlison for the first time since well before the world cup come off the bench today um, and do a bunch of dumb shit, which I, maybe we should or shouldn't talk about. I, I don't know. I don't know what Richarlison was attempting to do on the pitch today, other than all of the things that annoyed me when he was at Everton but that's neither here nor there. Like we, we basically, my point is they haven't had the full complement of players available all season. We, we talked about Bentacore not being available today. Like, is there, is there something in the back of my mind that says there's still hope for this to improve once everybody gets healthy or if everybody gets healthy, or is it just, are we just in a mode of throwing all the papers out the window at this point? Well, like we said earlier, I would have made, changes to some of the the selections like even just tossing aside the issue of the formation you know, sticking with this formation I would have preferred to see Perisic starting over Sessegnon you know I just don't think he's strong enough defensively but he's also not making enough of an impact in the attack it's getting to the point kind of like where we were at with Sergio Reggion where I see him get into a goal scoring position get the ball and I know he's not going to make it and that just sucks <laughs> And 
on the right side, you know, I, I do think Doherty has been good recently, but he had no impact today, kind of like Sun. I felt like he was fairly anonymous um, to the point where I forgot he was on the pitch at one point. And, you know, Kulisevsky, there's no denying what a huge impact he has when he's, you know, in top form. But I think today might have been a situation where he would have been more impactful off the bench just because of fitness concerns. Like I would have rather seen Brian get the start because he has been playing well. I thought he had earned some trust from Conte and, you know, put, put him in to start, let him see what he can do and then bring Decky in to close it out. But that's, you know, Conte, I think is not being very realistic about who, who is the best player for each game in that specific moment. I think he's just too stubborn (laughs) And he wants to play the players that he wants to play, even when it's not working out. You know what I mean? Yeah, hundred percent. I fully, I fully agree. I think Brian would have been a great selection today with Kulisewski coming off the bench. But it is just, just Conte being stubborn and you know, kind of kicking and screaming until he has all the pieces he wants to play his system. <clears throat> and and to some degree, I understand that, right? It's kind of why I wanted him. Um, just have him come in and, and, and demand that we win things. Right. And it's not happening. It's not working. I do think there needs to be more, more willingness to flex as a manager. Um, we're not seeing any of that right now. And I, I don't, I know it sounds bleak, you know, where do we go from here? But I, I don't think it's terribly perspective and, and I don't want to be tinfoil hat again. Right. So bear with me here, but the, even when we get these guys back from injuries, we haven't looked good in the first half at all. You know, I understand we're missing Ventaker. I understand that that he's been he's been instrumental, right? I understand Basuma's coming back from injury. Again, I can pose the question when we talk about backing the manager, Basuma's very talented, but there's a difference between getting the up and comer from Brighton and going out and snagging somebody from, you know, from Bayern like Liverpool has done in the past, right? So it's just there's a difference there, and we don't have the talent to compete at the top of the uh, table. At the top of the table, just point blank period. We're not even remotely close. When you couple how bad we look under Conte, especially again how long it takes us to get into matches, it doesn't look good to me. And then I start thinking about Kane and Son, which are really the only good things we have right now. Those poor guys want to win shit, and I'm telling you right now, they will not win the Premier League at Spurs. Like they're they're getting too old. We all know that, right? Dreamers can dream, but it's not happening. And that that ties into the macro. So it doesn't look good. I think we're on the verge of of just kind of tearing things down and starting over if we want to have any hope. I hate saying that type of thing. Um, but I just – I really don't see any – and this is just sports when I say this, right? Like things are good, but there's no light at the end of the tunnel at all right now for me around, around Tottenham, right? Um, and regardless of whether or not that's true, a lot of fans feel that way, and I don't think that's by coincidence, right? Would you would you rather move forward? I'm going to pose this to both of you, but would you rather move forward with Conte here for a guaranteed another two years after two seasons after this, or would you rather rip off the bandaid now and just tear things down? I'm. I can just I can answer honestly and just come out and say it. I would sack Conte in the morning. I'm over it. 
Um, and I can talk more as to why that is if we need me to, right? But I'm I, I'm ready for Conte to be gone. You know, I I hate to say it, but I think I'm basically at the same point. Just because I don't think I don't think Conte was ever the best fit for Tottenham. Um, and it, it feels like we've just been in this sort of limbo because we don't know what the club's vision is. We know what Conte's vision is, but the club has not really facilitated it. So it's kind of like, what's the point? Like, what are we doing here? What was the plan? Why are we just kind of doing it halfway? So if, if they want someone to come in and be like a project manager kind of like Pochettino was previously, then just do it. Like if they're not going to, and, and you know, even, even if they were going to back Conte, you know, which is like the tired old phrase, but I, I'm just not sure if that's the route I want the club to take anyway, because we get so locked into this very rigid system of his and it doesn't, I don't think it sets us up well for the long term. is the problem. Well, and that's been the battle. That's been the battle for for how many years? What's what's best for now versus what's best for the long term? I think that there's a grander conversation, which you know we we weren't we we had no plans to to really fully dive in on all of the the Qatari rumors this week, but I, I do think that that they tie in in the sense that there needs to be more vision and more understanding of some kind of vision from the grander scheme of ownership with this club right now, because, and I'm not, and I'm not, and I'm not even saying like they need to answer the questions that the supporters trust is putting on their deck desk. That's not, that's not even, I'm not even getting into that. It's just, there needs to be an idea of, are we spending money like one of these big so-called big clubs, like, like Tottenham have been kind of put in the realm of, or are we going more through the youth the youth system and doing because trying to mesh those two together over the last three to four years has not worked in any way, shape, or form. And when it comes to Conte, look, there's a lot of blame to go around. The blame pie is, you know, cut into a ton of different slices with this with what's going on at this club right now. You can talk about Young Min's son's struggles and how he might be over it. You can talk about Harry Kane. Um, being being really good but not having any support. You can talk about Kulisevsky being rusty. I mean, I can go through all the positions. You can talk about a midfield that gets overrun. You can talk about a, a goalkeeper that is, um, you know, past it at this point. You can talk about a lack of quality wingbacks. You can talk about a lack of quality attack in midfield. You could talk about so many things. The center backs have not been good enough. But you can also talk about how as bad as all of it's been, the highest paid manager in the Premier League is not getting anything out of these these so-called talented players because they are talented players i'm not going to say that all of these players are complete trash they're they're just not that's not the case i I would not even listen to that argument antonio conte is not get it he's not adaptable and and honestly these are some of the same things that we said under a previous manager who i don't want to name but i'm not even trying to compare them in that way he's not been adaptable to what needs to be done to get the most out of these players and I don't know that he's a manager that wants to stick around through really, really hard times. We've seen well, him leave at a number of other scenarios where there were potentially going to be really, really hard times. You know, I don't, I don't think as I sit here and think in real time, I don't think it's, it's that wild. I reflect back on Poch and how he, he built kind of this culture 
that's very different than a culture that Conte or, or, or Jose would, would build, right? And so you have this foundation and this core group of players who came up and learned how to be a professional soccer player in a very different way than these two managers are going to present. Um, that's on the board for maybe not recognizing that, right? Because neither of these guys have gotten anything out of this talent. You know, two starts to maybe not, not quite a pattern, right? But it starts to show that it could be. And I think um, there's something to be said for the fact that the, the, the board has probably gotten the last two managerial picks wrong. It probably could have backed Pochettino. But I also think when I look at, you know, when I look at the situation, I look at the lack of investment on the field and we can go on and on about, yes, we made signings, but it's always through some cut deal. It's always a situation where we can swoop in and get somebody that maybe shows a red flag to some other clubs around us, right? We're not investing like we think we are, regardless of what we want to say when we look at those around us. And I, I, I don't think there's anything that shows this, this, this board and Enoch wasn't doing everything in preparation of selling the club at its highest value possible, right? It, and that's, I think, the conversation that that's starting to to take shape and in different forms. I'm not talking about just QSI here, right? But many different forms of, of rumors going around that were in conversation to sell the club. And that tracks the most for me, right? As as to what I've seen just over the last three or four years and baffling decisions in the market, baffling managerial decisions, trying to just win something quickly. It's like our finances are going to be great. Let's see if we can pack a trophy on top of that before we sell this club type of thing, right? It's starting to where my starting to be where my head's going. So I think a lot's going to happen, but what I what I believe firmly will never happen is anything good under Conte, under Enoch. That's not going to prove anything positive for the club at this point. So and the rest is just kind of all just hypothetical, right? I am to the point with Conte where I feel as if I would not be disappointed if they sacked him at this point because because of the lack of um, commitment going forward. But at the same time, the question always becomes, and it's the same question we have with ownership when we get to talking about you know these Enoch Alk folks, like who then? Who who's it going to be? And the the question's the same with the manager. And I know that Scott's simple answer would be, oh, there's a guy named Pochettino. Well, okay, but like we saw how well that that went the last time because they didn't back him. Are they going to back him this time? Like, I, there's just a lot of um, there's a lot of moving parts. And today, today was an ugly, ugly, ugly day um, for for Spurs. And I don't the, the whole light at the end of the tunnel thing sounds dark, but I don't see it getting much better. Much very very quickly um the, the strangest thing about it all is when you look at the table and you look at kind of where things stand i mean spurs are only five points out of a champions league space um they're halfway through the season there are plenty of plenty of games left there are things to take and to and to say i mean we thought at, at many points last season that there was no chance of champions league football and they went on that run at the end of the year which included that massive victory in may over arsenal um to to finally take over that that spot and grab hold of it yeah, it's all it's all it's all that on the table for you. It just it doesn't look good. And and I feel like we do go through this conversation every year where it doesn't look good and then all of a sudden it's like we look up in, you know, late April and it's like, "Oh no, we still got a shot at this." So there there is that on the table, but uh right now it's it's really ugly. I do want to address the the club has released a statement uh, as we're recording. 
uh, on the incident that happened at the end of the game. For those who those people who did not see it, who might have either turned the game off early or turned the game off right at full time, um, there was an incident at the end of the game, a coming together of the two teams. It involved uh, it involved Richarlison getting in the face of Aaron Ramsdale. Ramsdale then went over to grab his water bottle from behind the goal, and a fan appeared to jump onto or halfway onto the pitch and kick Ramsdale in the back. Really, really ugly stuff. The club released a statement saying, quote, we are appalled by the behavior of a supporter that attempted to attack Arsenal goalkeeper Aaron Ramsdale at the end of today's match. Violence in any form has no place in football. The club has reviewed its CCTV footage to identify the supporter and will be working with Met Police, Arsenal, and Aaron Ramsdale to take the strongest possible action, including an immediate ban from Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Pretty basic stuff there out of out of the club. just want to put that out there that that the club has responded and um anyone who any, anyone who looked at that incident at the end end of the match there and thought Aaron Ramsdale was in the wrong you're wearing the wrong color glasses i'm sorry th- th- that was appalling uh from from the side of of the Spurs fan and and honestly a little bit from Richarlison too i don't know what the fuck he was doing just running around and and getting in Ramsdale's face at the end of the game um it didn't it didn't make a whole hell of a lot of sense so uh it was really really bad um and capped off by that ugly incident at the end of the game um i don't know if you guys want to get into at all the the enoch out stuff and the the, the stuff that's learning for me it feels like a kick the can down the road situation because the qsi thing that came up this week was i, th- I think the only thing i want to say about it is when the information leaked last week we we didn't talk about it but the club the, the information leaked through alistair gold and then all of a sudden the club said, no, this didn't happen. But in reality, it did. The club immediately was just trying to get out in front of something that had already gotten out. Um, and the fact that they're denying it so vehemently just tells me, yeah, it's a thing. There's talks, but I don't know that it's going to go anywhere. I think the club kind of should, should probably be doing a little bit more of feeling the temperature of the room at this point. But um, I-, I mean... I think the worst part about all this shit, and when I say shit, just all these links to, you know, takeovers and whatever. Obviously, you guys know I want QSI nowhere near the club. I'll have none of that, right? Um, I also don't want, like, a tech billionaire anywhere near the club because ultimately what we, what we want to achieve is is to be part of an absolutely broken fucking system, and that's what pisses me off and probably just makes me, like, sad more than anything else is that what we want is to be part of a group of teams who are competing to see who can like spend the most money and just get it right for 12 months and then do it again. It just, it's, it honestly reminds me of like the point in football manager where I'm just winning constantly and can buy whoever I want. And I just like start a new save because it's just not even like competitive anymore. Right. And I don't want a professional sports situation like that. And you guys have heard me say this on the pod before, Talk as much shit as you want about the American sports system, but there is parody and they have parody through the way that they structure all kinds of different things, right? And this, that's not what this show is about, but I don't want to be part of this system. And that's our ultimate end goal when we talk about a takeover. And again, that's pr- what probably just like makes me, again, sad more than anything else about where the sport in general is going because I'm like, I'm losing passion and interest every season. And it's it's starting to like concern me a little bit, um, and I don't feel like I'm the only one out there who feels that way. No, you're you're not at all. I agree with you 100. percent And 
you're right. We can say what we want about the American soccer leagues, but they're not out here allowing nation states to own football clubs. You know, I don't know why the Premier League thought it was okay to let it get to this point. And, you know, part of it is on, is on the, the league governance for, and not, not just the Premier League. I mean, obviously it's happening in Ligue 1, um, you know, all, all across Europe, but it's, it's just depressing to me, honestly, because, because I don't believe in that sort of buy your way to success. You know, there have to be limits, there have to be constraints so that it's competitive. And yeah, I'm obviously 100% against it. I, I think there's something to be said for there aren't any good billionaires. <laughs> like, I think that, you know, it, like mm-hmm. I, I get the idea that like, yeah, we, we money's needed in sport like this, but like, no matter who it is, it's, it's, it's not good. Um, that said, it, it, for me, it's always, and, and whether it's Enoch or anyone else, it's always been about how you spend the money, not how much you spend of it. I mean, look at what Chelsea are doing right now. We brought it up earlier. Chelsea are throwing, you know, flex seal dollar bills on their leak and it is not stopping the leak i mean there is problems with the amount of money that is spent but it's 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 always and will always be about how you spend it and what you spend it on um versus how much of it you spend so no matter where the money's coming from um it's got to be spent properly but but i think we all you know the three of us sitting here we care about where the money's coming from as well um so that that's an important factor for us. I know that's not I know that's not a, an important factor for everyone um, and, you know, to each his own. But uh, to me, if it's Enoch, if it's QSI, if it's whoever, uh, whatever, whatever letter, three or four letter acronym you want to put together, uh, how, however they spend the money, it's got to be done properly. And when you look at the way that Spurs have spent their money in the last handful of windows, um, and by the way, we're in the middle on January 15th of a current one where they haven't spent any. Um, but when you look at it, I, I would point to last January's window as being good, bringing in Kulisevsky and Bentecor. Other than that, I don't know that they've had a great, great window. Um, last summer, they spent a lot of money, sure. But was it a great window? And we, we've talked about this a few weeks ago. No, when you look back at what the, what was actually done, it wasn't a great window. So, um yeah, I don't I don't know where else you go with with that conversation. Um, let's let's take a moment here and talk briefly about the women's team, which is not uh, also happy news because they lost again. Um, there was slight good news with uh, uh, the debutante uh, Beth England scoring on her debut, which was nice. But Spurs kind of the second half was much better for for Spurs women yesterday against Aston Villa, right? Right, Caroline. Yes, very much so. Um, in the first half, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm sorry. Um, our first goal from Beth England really kind of came out of nowhere. You know, it was completely against the run of play and it felt we were kind of fortunate to get it. Um, the problem is that we did not then buckle down on defense, which has been an issue for us all season long. And when you've got players that are the quality of Rachel Daly and Kenza Dolly, you can't be affording them that much space. And I, I think it's not just the defensive players themselves that, that are at fault. I think it's also just the midfield was not very strong either. And I don't know, these games are the ones where 
you, you start to realize that you can quickly get left behind if you're not making the right choices in the transfer window, because kind of like with the men's team, we did bring in players in the summer and, yep. you know, we had reason to be enthusiastic and positive about almost all of them. Um, one of them has barely played for reasons that we have no idea, literally, but yeah, it's just, I think it's just a matter of one, the team hasn't built great chemistry with a lot of those new players coming in. Uh, two, we finally solved the issue of bringing in a player who is a consistent goal scorer, but now we have to worry about getting her the service and, you know, it's, it's good that we saw that improvement in the second half, but we need to be seeing more consistent performances throughout the full 90 because this was our, our fifth loss in a row in the league. And, you know, I think you and I, Andrew, were talking about it and I don't necessarily feel that we're at any risk of a relegation scrap, but that being said, Lester just won their first game of the season this morning. Um, they brought in a, a keeper on loan from Bayern Munich and it seems like she's really, you know, helped them to turn it around automatically. So it's, it's about making the smart moves. I think is what I'm trying to say. Uh, you know, Aston Villa, we knew going into this game, it was going to be a pivotal one because they've been making serious moves in the transfer windows. And we just, you know, with the exception of Beth England, we're, we're not keeping up. No. No, we're not. Uh, the Beth England signing is great, and we're, we're excited about that. But when you look at the table, Spurs women sit eighth out of 12 teams, and there's six points ahead of Leicester in, who, who sit in, in the drop zone. Um, it's, it, they got to they gotta make sure, I think. There's still, there's still work to be done to make sure. Um, but, yeah, when you, when you and I spoke yesterday after the match before Leicester had picked up their first victory, um, we, we didn't really think there was much of a chance. And I still don't, but it's – it's clear that they're not going to be in that best of the rest category this season. They've just got to slog through and get through and get through to the next window after this one and, and, you know, reinvest and, and do some more things going forward. So um, that's, you know, I don't, I don't think there's much else to say about that. Uh, speaking of the next match for Spurs women is against Leicester. So a good opportunity to do that. Uh, they next play on the 22nd. So in a week next Sunday. So um yeah, that's uh, that's where that's where we stand with the women. They are really going through it right now. Three three wins from ten games, seven defeats. Uh, it has not been great there either. Um, <laughs> the other place to go with our conversation this week is we saw the retirement of Gareth Bale. I don't know that there's much else to say. This is, I guess, the a somewhat happy note we can we can end the pod on. But Gareth Bale retired, which is gave us an opportunity earlier in the week before everything went down with the actual playing of games to reflect on what was just an incredible career. Um, Gareth Bale, probably the player that, that first got me into Spurs really. Um, that's how kind of young I still am in my, in my fandom, but uh, just a remarkable, remarkable footballer and probably the best British player ever. I think I've heard that tossed about uh, quite a bit this year or this week rather um what what do you guys have to say about gareth bale uh hanging up the boots well i'm even younger in my spurs fandom than you are andrew so i missed his his first go around with spurs 
but he's he's such a singular talent like even just getting to see him play that one season on loan for Spurs was like a blessing <laughs> you know he's just a joy to watch he's a player that always put a smile on my face and one of the main reasons that I will never forgive Jose Mourinho because he did not play him enough and I'm still bitter about it <laughs> yeah I just obviously Gareth Bale I I do think there's a strong argument that he is the greatest British player of all time. He's just incredible career. And I'm really happy that he went and accomplished everything he accomplished. You know, I think he was phenomenal for Spurs, scored some of the greatest goals you'll ever see in the Premier League era. Um, and he went and won absolutely everything for his, for, for, you know, at the club level and couldn't be happy for, for, you know, who seems to be a really, really nice guy. So all the best. And, I also think it's really cool to see somebody retire when they feel that it's right, regardless of, you know, kind of the norm these days or whatever. He's still a little bit younger, probably could have kept playing. But again, he's won everything and he wants to go enjoy family life. And I'm sure swing the sticks a little bit, as we all know. So I, uh, you know, I do wish him all the best. He's definitely going to be swinging the sticks a little bit. That guy's going to play so much damn golf. Uh, also, it was really, really cool to see him and get to play in a World Cup this year for for all the the shit we, we, we talked about this world cup and what it was um, him taking Wales to, to the world cup. was, was really, really cool. And um, I know they didn't, they didn't play very well, but it was still nice to see that whole process play out. Um, Got a goal too at the world cup, which is, is pretty great. albeit against the United States, but, but I'm, I'm happy that he got that goal. So no, no, no question about it. Uh, Gareth Bale uh, enjoy retirement as it were. Um, I don't really want to get in a transfer conversation with either of you because it is January 15th and we've got two more weeks to kind of bat that around. There's, there's going to be plenty of rumors, whether it's Pedro Poro or uh, Trossard or, or, or whoever else. Um, none of it's done. And you guys know my policy. I, I honestly don't know the Spurs are going to sign anyone at this point. They, they might, they might Dude, not. I'm like, not even joking when I say this, sorry to interrupt you, but like as far as the transfer window goes, I don't give a fuck. Buy people. Don't buy people. I whatever. It's not going to be good. We suck. Just it's it's hard. It's hard to bring. It's 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 hard to bring new furniture into a house that's on fire, right? Like that's the way it feels right now. Like just, I'm not even joking. Like I don't care if you buy people or not. It doesn't matter in the end at this point, and that's not a great thing to say. But well, into our conversation about like, do we let Conte go now? Do we stick with him? They've got to make that, that decision before they do any sort of transfer moves because it's going to be so pointless to bring in Conte players if he is not. Uh, yeah, you've got, to, you've got to figure out the micro before you figure out the macro. I know I, I use that uh, micro-macro cliche way too often, but it's very true. You've got to figure out what the hell you're doing from the top before you start filtering it down to the other stuff. And and like I said, I think the, the furniture in a burning house uh, metaphor is is kind of apt. Uh, they've got to put out the fire first before they start <laughs> refurbishing. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's where we're at. Spurs back in action on the men's side Thursday. Oh, look at that. It's Manchester city. Cool. That won't be hard at all. <laughs> um, no big deal. You know, what's, you know, you guys do know how this works out though. I mean, we play city now twice within the next handful of weeks, uh, because of the postponement, you know, that we're going to take four points off mm. of city. And just help Arsenal even further to their to their uh, their their league league title romp. I've already seen them, by the way, called champions elect on the internet um, with an eight point lead in the middle of January. So, 
whoever uh, you you know who you are when you're saying that kind of thing. Um, I'm just gonna just gonna say, don't bottle that one because uh, that would that would be a real shame. But yeah, but yeah, uh, fully, fully expecting Spurs to take four off of City and help help Arsenal on their way. That would that would be just the way that that goes, right? No, and I'll take it a step further, man. We beat City. They buy some players for Conte because they get excited. Conte quits. We're stuck in this summer with all these Conte players because we beat City. It's going to happen. Just mark my words. Remember this episode. Oh, it got worse. Yeah, so we play Thursday, and then we don't play until Monday uh, against Fulham, which, by the way, if you haven't if you haven't looked at the table like me uh, since about midway th- since we're about midway through the season now, Fulham are two points back of of Spurs right now in sixth place. <laughs> Fulham are really quite good and and got a little unlucky uh, in their match against uh, Newcastle today. But uh, Fulham, and then it's the FA Cup match, and then it's City again. So it is a uh, quite the little run of fixtures. Uh, coming up here on the men's side we're going to be doing our best to uh continue bringing the pods when when they merit um we'll definitely be back at you next weekend uh to talk about more of this stuff just want to take a moment though to to thank everyone this is this as i mentioned at the top is our 100th episode we've been doing this podcast now for about a year and a half uh about one and a half seasons and um really really appreciate all the feedback that we get all the listeners that we have uh you guys reach out and you, you give us things to talk about you ask questions you you interact on the socials and that's uh that's much appreciated for all of you who have been with us or will be with us uh, going forward uh spread the word tell a friend we're, we're continuing to grow this thing but 100 episodes is a little bit of i know it's just a round number it's a it's a benchmark and and times seem really bleak right now with spurs but we're here for it we're going to be talking about it it gives us something to do it gives us something to talk about it and 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 as uh as bleak as it may look right now we're gonna we're gonna make the best of it and uh share share our our time and our our, our thoughts with all of you and, and each other because uh, it's what we do. And it's, it's Spurs is what brings us together through thick and thin, even though uh, right now it's awfully, awfully thick and it feels, uh, feels a bit swampy and, and not great, but that's all I've got to say about that. Thank you to both of you two as well for, uh, for, for, for helping drag this thing to a hundred episodes and, uh, and getting us to this mark. Uh, here's to hundreds and hundreds more as we continue to pod, about this team that we just really want to be angry about all the time. So uh, you can follow Scott at DSM Spurs. You can follow Caroline at CG Stefka. You can follow me at a Stefka. Again, follow us at Tottenham Depot on your Twitter, on your Instagram, on your TikTok, wherever you get your podcasts, listen to us, rate, review, spread the word. We'll be back with you next week to uh, try to pick up all the pieces as they start to fall apart. This has been the Tottenham Depot podcast. As always, come on you Spurs. Thank you so much for stopping by the Tottenham Depot. Thanks to Scott Bird for our intro music, as well as the tunes you are hearing right now. Thanks to Dakota Booth for our artwork. Thank you as well to our spouses who put up with our obsession with this football club and for all that they do. And thanks to you, the listener, who really makes this happen. Supporters make this club, and you, the listener, are what make this podcast possible. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Tottenham Depot, and as always, come on, you Spurs.